What's up, everybody? You're listening to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. So on today's episode, I'm sitting with Councilmember Derek Green. He's running for re-election. Um, he is an at-large member of Philadelphia City Council. And we got so engaged in talking, we really started talking about how I started the podcast, which took us into uh, the importance of having millennials engaged in our political process. I think that's one of the things that tends to get lost in how we interact with newer generations that come of age um, in our world and how we teach civic responsibility in our schools, how we engage in political discourse in our everyday lives. Is it a space where people feel like they can express themselves, they can talk about some challenges that are present within their lives and within their community, but also some specific policy questions about the 10-year tax abatement, um, how we can help local businesses uh, open and start and stay thriving within our community, and how would you say nuances of gentrification and what that means uh, for a city of Philadelphia and the makeup and how we go forward in our generation. I'm sure a lot of you are wondering how I make my podcast sound so crisp and clean. Well, I have to thank the folks at Rec Philly. They provide me the space, the time, and equipment to make this podcast happen. And it doesn't just end there. It's also an opportunity to connect with other creative individuals just like me. And not just other podcasters. I'm talking writers, musicians, photographers, anyone that considers themselves a creative individual. So if that's you, head on down to Rec Philly. It is super affordable. The memberships are great. And it's an opportunity to flex your creative muscles. If that's you, I hope to see you there soon. So how long have you been doing a podcast? So I, I've been doing a podcast since December. Okay. Um, I started December of, of 2018. Okay. I started writing in 2016. Right. Okay. Um, and I've always been very politically inclined, mm-hmm. but I just didn't know what avenue I wanted to direct and my when attention. When you say writing, what type of writing are you doing? Uh, blog. Okay. Blog. So okay. I started writing political blogs okay. um, back then. Um, okay. And I mean, obviously, there was a lot of like. Is it 2016? 2016. So that's right around the time the current occupant of public that housing is correct. on Pennsylvania Avenue got selected by some. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, just, just politics in general um, just started. It, it was tension, you know, a lot of tension and a mm-hmm. lot of focus on what was happening in our, in our world, mm-hmm. not just locally, but throughout the country needing an outlet um needing an outlet to Mm -hmm. find it and the one thing that i started to find especially as i started writing more is is there there's not many outlets for people of my age my demographic Mm -hmm. um you know when you turn on the tv you see politics are are covered by people that don't necessarily look Mm -hmm. like me Mm -hmm. um and then we are also told that we can't have some political conversations in particular spaces so I'm looking around and trying to figure out, well, where can I have this what conversation? Right. You know, I want to know about things or I want people uh, within my network and my community and my friends mm-hmm. to know things right. and be able to talk about things. But nobody feels right. they either are versed enough. Um, they have the space to do it. They're mm-hmm. not smart enough. All mm-hmm. of the things that people think, you know, or oh, this isn't the right space to mm-hmm. talk about. And it's just how do mm-hmm. we move forward if we can mm-hmm. never talk about it. Right. So that's kind of yeah. what started the, that's what made me migrate from okay. the blog to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to be able to 
provide that space for people who don't feel like they have that space. space. And do you have a specific angle that, or is that kind of naturally formed over time? Like I noticed that I'm blogging from a certain perspective or I'm having conversations, but the conversation are going to a certain so dynamic. So I, I make no, you know, mistakes or I, I don't try to hide it that I am very liberal in mm-hmm. my, my views. But my main focus is is trying to get as many people to participate in our political process right. as possible. One of my friends is um, conservative, um, Peruvian, uh, voted Republican, you know, and I, I had him on a podcast and we talked about it. You know, what does it mean to mm-hmm. be conservative? What does right. it mean to be a minority and conservative? And let's have these spaces where we can talk about it. And one, we can learn from each other, but it just promotes the idea that it is okay to talk about politics. And this is the space where you and can having do it. dialogue. Exactly. Right. And I think that's where a lot of things get missed in our, our political discourse. That's, mm-hmm. again, people my age, we are told to either, you know, we don't know enough or we can't talk about it at work, can't talk about it at family gatherings. Um, school didn't really teach too much for people that mm-hmm. are my age, that are out of high school, out of college, they're in the workforce, um, they're struggling to to pay bills and to maybe their degree isn't really contributing to their career mm-hmm. like they thought they right. would, all of the different things right. that come into place. And when you say don't talk about it during family gatherings, to me that's where most people got their first introduction yeah. to politics at the the kitchen tables, right. at the barbershop. I mean, it's on the most detailed analytical, political, scientific type conversations to happen to the, with me at the barbershop in 19 the Erie, where mm-hmm. people are dissecting geo-global political dynamics in a barbershop that other people walk in and are like, what are they talking about? And right. it, it's something that I noticed. It happens with uh, people of influence or people who come from affluence, um, people that are in the political mm-hmm. uh, uh, machinery, but it doesn't necessarily always happen to people that live in communities of poverty. You know, they're not necessarily, at least, in, in certain situations. Okay. I know within my network of friends, okay. and that's kind of where this this was born, gotcha. that they weren't having those political conversations at home growing mm-hmm. up. They weren't listening to their parents talk about uh, the things that were happening in, mm. in the world okay. or within Philadelphia. They weren't overhearing some of the, the things they were watching on the news. That just didn't take place for them. You know, so we... What I found is is there's a bubble that exists within people who engage in politics that people outside of politics who don't work in it, live and breathe it every day, don't Mm. feel like they're included in those conversations. Do you think that's generational? Yes. 100%. When you say that, I mean, I'm just reflecting on my barbershop, um, which is right in North Philadelphia. And any any issue that's in any bit of pop culture is discussed in the barbershop. Mm on all issues from, uh, my, I mean, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to the Mueller report. I mean, you would think you're watching um, Hardball right. or f- um, Firing Line. Right. I mean, because people are debating, and people get very engaged in the conversation. That's great. And, I mean, and that's something that I've always seen, no matter various environments I've been in, uh, especially in the, the barber, the, the whole concept of the barbershop is very interesting. That's why, and and you know, LeBron James has his show, The Shop, and right. how he brings in different perspectives. And they've kind of s- slightly captured the barbershop. They actually getting people people getting a haircut in mm-hmm. the in the shop, so it kind of gets that concept. Although it's a little staged, right? Um, but the barbershop is an area that I, I've often called that that is the uh, the Union League for urban Philadelphia. 
um, where you have people come in, especially um, men, especially men of color, it's always been a safe space where people can just have conversations on a whole host of issues. And you find some people being somewhat conservative and expanding views and some much more liberal and all kinds of in between. Right. And you see and you see how people exchange and people's thoughts may change slightly based on who's more vocal, who's more aggressive, who's more dynamic in their their point. I mean it's very it's a, to me it's a debate society, from my observation. So And that's that's kind of the importance of having uh, normalcy around political conversations is you get to flesh out those ideas that just you know that are kind of fringe and, and don't work. But when we don't have a, a culture that promotes um, conversations around political engagement, that doesn't promote um, education, mm-hmm. and you know, not in college. I'm talking, you know, grade school, high right. school. That's promoting uh, civic responsibility. You have a very disengaged voting population to the point where millennials are certainly voting at much lower rates than any of the previous generations. And that is a product of, in my opinion at least, that's a product of segregating political conversations to a very particular class of individuals. Um, I don't know necessarily if it's purposeful or not. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not making any claims to that. But I think that is a, if we don't engage in that topic of how do we make politics much more normal because my ability to find health insurance shouldn't be something that I can't talk about. You know, right. my ability to find housing should be something that I should be able to talk about and, and find solutions on and feel comfortable um, mm-hmm. having those conversations. But people don't, that I'm finding at least, within my network or within different communities and, and, and people that I connect with. Um, the focus tends to be on pop culture, you know, what new song? What's the new dance? What's the what's the latest gossip and and celebrity news? And not, you know, somebody can s- cite, um, you know, the latest Cardi B song, and I like Cardi B, but someone can cite, you know, uh, uh, say her lyrics really well. Back and forth on Cardi B. I I, I, <laughs> I, I, I I respect the hustle though. I, respect I do. The where she came, I'm a very very critical person yeah. and I'm a very strong I mean I am of hip hop culture and uh, the lyrics got and I'm, I'm come so for me the, the I, I'm really critical on lyricist and delivery and flow so like a Karis one yes so a Rakim so it, just having a nice hook is that's like the basic I, and, I completely and, agree and with that and what I what I the reason why I like her is mm-hmm. because she is a genuine person but that's why I love what that you that. see is what you get I, I, from that's her. why I love she is um, authentic and raw I love that and where she came from that I love the hustle and authenticity but people can have opinions about right. that and they do right. but when it comes to the normalcy around that's much more of a normal conversation than having a conversation on well did you know that Philadelphia ranks the highest in the big cities in poverty You know, did you know that the millennial voting population has voted historically much less Mm -hmm. than baby boomers or any other previous generation? You know, so those types of conversations just Mm -hmm. aren't things that happening. You know, when we talk about uh, what does the city council do? Mm -hmm. You know, I asked I, I, I regularly do polls on my Instagram page and and ask people, you know, do you know what city council does? People don't know. You know, mm-hmm. they just, they don't know. They don't know what the, the responsibilities of city council versus uh, the federal government. You know, we have expectations of our president that 
are rightful, but sometimes do those expectations actually line up with what we expect when we talk about deficit, for example? People correlate that to, well, uh, if we blow up the deficit, that means I'm going to have less money to spend for me. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily how mm-hmm. that works. Mm-hmm. You know, so the understanding of how our government works is a fundamental problem with our engagement with um, politics and Philadelphia and across the country. Um, with that said, you know, and I, I keep going back to that point of our voting population, especially for people like me, millennials, people that are in their 30s and uh, between 30s and I guess early. Yeah, what's the official cutoff? I think the official, I, I, one, I don't agree with this generational I, thing because I'm an older millennial. Right. But so say a seasoned millennial? I'm a seasoned millennial. And That's an inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I need to know what the inside okay, joke so is Okay, so my dad is 83. Mm-hmm. So he says he's not a senior citizen. He's a seasoned citizen. <laughs> I like um, that. So, okay, dad, I got one better for you. If you can be a seasoned citizen, I can be a seasoned millennial. And so now I have millennials on my staff that whenever I could actually hear them griping right now as we speak because whenever I make that joke they're like you're really using that joke again I actually I I should trademark it because I'm waiting for it to come back around you should trademark it do it before I do because (laughs) I'm going to start using that now I am very good at telling some good dad jokes right um and I feel like that's up there I'm waiting for like somewhere um President Obama will say I'm a grandfather millennial not a season millennial (laughs) grandfather millennial it's like see it worked it got around the world yeah um but like yeah I'm a I'm a seasoned millennial and I don't necessarily you know my upbringing and the way I grew up I grew up without the internet you know Mm -hmm. versus some Mm -hmm. of the younger millennials they that's all they knew they had the cell phones and the kind of everything so you know that kind of exists but um there isn't a I forgot where I was going, but there isn't the space for generational our from a generational right. perspective right. there there's a break in mm-hmm. our our engagement and our lack of interest in how politics is is normalized in our country in in your perspective is that something that you see is that a problem that you see not just within Philadelphia? Um, on how we can engage millennials more, uh, the younger uh, generation, um, different avenues of get out the vote, and all of those things that typically uh, come around every four years mostly. Well, I think we're going through a dynamic in reference to technology Mm -hmm. and the political industry and those who um, are providing services as part of politics, either they are campaign advisors or campaign consultants or media consultants that are still trying to work through this new technology. It seems like every four to eight years is a new piece of technology, and now people are all trying to scramble how to use it. Uh, I remember uh, at one point when just ha- everyone had to have a website. You have to have a website. Right. But then having a website, but if you're not really drawing people to it and you're not doing anything with the website, it's kind of static. Mm-hmm. And then it went from you got to have a website to you got to have a Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook page. But if you're not doing anything to drive content toward it and keeping the content fresh, people don't really go to it. And it was a point of, like, you've got to have it just, to sake of, just for the sake of having it. But if you're not using it as a true communication tool, mm-hmm. just like um, people doing you know, phone polls or TV ads or radio ads, you've got to find ways to use it as a tool. And I think now we're going through this transition of how do we use these um, forms of technology to better communicate 
with constituents and, mm-hmm. and, and people in the community from either doing, I try to do things like Facebook Live um, on a Thursday morning before city council trying to explain to people and give people a perspective of what's coming up, what's coming down the pike in city council, or if I have a bill I'm introducing, I'll do a Facebook Live piece, mm-hmm. um, or you know just, just going around the city to different activities, different locations, putting it on either Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, just trying to find ways to connect um, we were just talking about trying to do, I do a, a quarterly public access show, um, which I record and we put on YouTube, my YouTube channel. So just trying to create, and we're trying to tweak that a little bit too. I have another idea about how we do town hall meetings in a way that can make yourself as accessible as possible, because not everyone can come to City Hall on a Thursday at 10 a.m. Uh, so having a way where people can interact and ask questions um, whenever. So. I think going back to the original point, a lot of different elected officials and those in the political industry are trying to figure out what's the best means of using all this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know, at one point, uh, you know, Cory Booker would be on Facebook like twenty four seven, and it got to me. It, it so it's, it got too much. It's like I don't need to know every two seconds. I'm so glad you made that point. Yeah, because it it becomes a a point where it's just like you're. Not necessarily oversaturating, mm-hmm. but you're just not genuine. Right. And you're just doing it for attention and not doing it so that you're reaching people where they are right. and you're showing people who you genuinely are. Right. If you don't, you know, Facebook Live while you're at the dentist, I think Beto O'Rourke did Beto that. Like, did that. you don't need to do it. Like, it's just not, that's not normal. And to me, it reminds me of, and I'm not a big self-promoter, mm-hmm. Um and it reminds me of like the Truman Show yes. or Ed TV, and I'm just here. Look, I'm having my chai latte while I'm doing yoga in downward pose at seven <laughs> in the morning. I don't know if I need to know. No, that. that's that's but, too much information. Right, it's TMI. But if it's information like I'm on the floor of Congress or in City Council and something's happening that people need to know about, or I'm an agent, I'm in the NFL draft, and people want to know right now what's happening in reference to their sports team, whatever. Mm. That's different. You're then giving people an opportunity to be in the room where they normally could not be. That's why I see the Twitter and Facebook Live being beneficial. But the just constant promotion, I think, as part of the pop culture um, dynamic, and you talked about a little bit earlier, that we're in this constant self-promotion all the time, which I think is... I don't know if it's really good because it becomes very, I, I hate to use the word vapid, but it's just, it's its not real reality. It's like right. we're doing reality for the sake of saying it's reality, right. but it's not really reality. It's really staged shows yes. to make it seem like it's reality. But you know if you're watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta or you're watching um, uh, you, you know, Basketball Wives or you're watching um, Hip Hop, whatever, this is staged. Well, mo- well, I hope most people realize this is staged. Yes. It looks like it's reality, and it makes me think of that Roots video, what they do, and you see Oh, I love that video. In, yeah. Like, everyone walking in, it's like, hey, this is not real. This is rented. This is just yeah. grape juice, not champagne. <laughs> yeah. and, and it makes me think about that. And like the, that um, show that was on BT and the Real House Husbands of Hollywood, and it was like all All the cel- uh, celebrity, yeah. Yeah, because that's, to me, what it really is. Right. These people are not living this way. But they're making it seem they're living this way. And it's having a challenging impact, I think, on young people. It is. One of the things that – so what I try to do for this platform is I specifically target individuals who are uh, making a a good presence within social media. And that's really what gravitated me towards you is – 
is your platform is genuine, but you're also using it to really get out information and not just promote yourself, like mm-hmm. kind of what you hinted to. Um, you know, I did, like I said, the, uh, when we were speaking earlier, I saw your your Facebook Live interview yesterday, and mm-hmm. it was it was really uh, in depth on policy, which I think is was fantastic. Um, it covered a lot of things, and I was like shouting questions into my phone as I'm watching it. <laughs> um, but I think that is, and also shout out to who's doing your social media, because again, that is really how I uh, you came on my radar, um, and I think that's a way for millennials to gravitate towards uh understanding and normalizing politics right. for them um but let's 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 dive a little bit deeper mm-hmm. um because the next generation behind us um behind millennials this what like what is it i guess gen z i think that's what it is i think right. that's what letter yeah, is next <laughs> um but that generation that's coming of age that it's in school now um you know what are your feelings or ideas when it comes to and engaging that younger generation mm-hmm. on uh, politics and normalizing it for them so that they have a seat at the table as they start to come of age and, you know, the next person that's going to be in my seat mm-hmm. um, looking for an outlet or looking for to create that community for themselves? Well, I try to engage and I try to look at things like um, voter registration. Mm-hmm. So we have a National Voter Registration Day, which is always, I believe, in the fall. So I generally speak at various high schools. And when I do that, I try to do it from the perspective that, you know, getting your voter and the statistics will show that when someone gets their voter registration card, they're more likely to vote and more likely to do other things. Yes. So I try to use that and say to young people, you know, this is your first opportunity to really demonstrate to the world you're an adult, that you have an opportunity to sign up for something independent of mom, dad, uncle, guardian, whoever. And also, once you do that, then you can make a decision on something that's important based on how you feel, based on whether you think Beto O'Rourke is a good candidate or uh, Mayor Pete or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris. You can make the decision based on how you feel without anyone else telling you you're too young, you're not right, you're not, and make that decision. And to me, I, I try to use the argument, this is your first step to adulthood. Mm. Um, before you get an apartment, before you get a car or do this, this is your first step into that opportunity. And so try to use it as a, as a perspective and saying this is the transition from being a young person to adulthood and use that as kind of the entree. Also, I talk about, and I'm reflecting on, uh, I have a niece who now lives in Houston. She used to have four beauty salons, and, I just, and they were all... all off Germantown, Sheldon Carter. And I would say to her that, you know, when people talk about politics, politics impact you from before you're born, like a birth certificate, to when you pass away, a death certificate. Mm-hmm. But in between, that dash in between, there are a lot of ways that politics impact you. So if you have a beauty salon and you're concerned that there's rules and regulations that impact you, reference to hair braiding and how you maintain um, your beauty salon or barbershop, you know, those are, there's rules and regulations that are set at the state level through a agency that regulates hair braiding. And, regu- and some of these, these rules and regulations are based on things from, you know, in the 40s or 50s or maybe in 60s. We're, we're 2019. Yeah. So the concept of you getting other barber shops or just other beauty salons or just hair, let's say African hair braiding salons, where, um, are able to come together and just go to your state representative and say, listen, the rules and regulations that dictate how we have got to operate our business are impacting business in this way. We think there should be some changes mm. um, because of the and the dynamics that was put together for those rules are based on 
not necessarily hair braiding, but other types of um, hairstyles or other type of professional services connected hair. And so we're being told we've got to follow certain rules and regulations that are antiquated for what we are doing. But ha bringing a few owners together and then going to your state representative and saying, listen, you represent all of us and we have some issues and concerns. Can you take these questions to uh, the State Department that handles licensure of hair braiding? And that's a way you can have impact and then follow up and then finding out, okay, how can we start to make some regulatory changes? And if it's impacting you on this 100 block or a couple hundred block of Germantown near Shelton, mm -hmm. imagine what's happening to people in Winfield right. or Broad and Glenwood right. or King Sessing Avenue, Southwest Philly, or even maybe Cotton Avenue, and then maybe other ethnic groups who are having other similar dynamics. And then you're starting to pull people together and you're starting to build a political base and power, which is no different than a group of realtors that come together, a group of lawyers that come together, a group of, of you know auto dealers that come together who are saying, listen, these rules and regulations are impacting us in a negative way. You state representative or a city council person that represents us we want you to make some changes. You're doing exactly the same thing that people do in D.C. who are uh, lobbyists for IT firms, for Apple and Google, for saying that certain federal laws or um, tax um, codes are impacting us in a negative way. It's the same concept, but just getting them, I think sometimes people have this perspective that, well, that's just people that have a Harvard degree and X, Y, Z. Want us to know is mm -hmm. just you and others who have similar issues are lobbying your elected official, because this is a, represent, uh, a representative democracy, and saying we want to see changes on what's impacting us. The power of organization is real, and I always uh, compare that to, you know, if you live in a, in a gated community, you know, you got your homeowners association, mm -hmm. you know, there is rules and regulations on the color of your house, the type of fence you got, your sprinklers above ground, below ground, how high your grass is going to be, all of those things. That's that's a they are organizing and and setting those rules for for the neighborhood, and it's it's just as important to do those things almost in every facet of our right. our lives. Um, you mentioned uh, Germantown and Shelton. I went to Germantown High School. Okay. It's closed now. I know. Um, unfortunately, you're short of its hundredth anniversary. I, I have know. Some good friends. Yeah. That went to Germantown. Um, but that that neighborhood seems to be. Let, let me take a step back. Actually, when you look at the city as a whole, especially when you look at some of the things that are happening downtown, mm -hmm. um, Love Park uh, renovation, you know the the fountains at City Hall and the, mm -hmm. and the ice skating rink. Um, you got new hotels that are popping up in Center City. I know this because I I'm formerly from the hospitality industry. Um, and then you go out to Germantown and you see the number of businesses that have closed, closed every year, closed, closed, closed. And you start to see the neighborhood starts to look dilapidated. Mm -hmm. And people that were in this community for generations have uh, no options of really surviving. Uh, businesses are leaving. There's there's not a lot of resources. The schools are, are diminishing. Are you seeing that from that perspective? Um, I know for a lot of people within my community that lived in Germantown and for people my age, um, they see this contrasting cities. You know, they see Center City becoming this great new high-rise city. They got the TVs on the buildings down on Market Street. The gallery has been closed and redone and all of these new shopping places. Yet where we live, 
is getting worse every single year. How do we fix that contrast? What is city council doing to kind of change that mm -hmm. such a comparison that's taking place in our city? Well, I definitely have a concern that we're becoming more like a Dickens novel tale to yes. cities. Um, and it's not just inner city. If you look at um, Fishtown, um, Port Richmond, Kensington, you're seeing dramatic changes. Gentrification uh, is you're real. Seeing, <laughs> and you're seeing gentrification. Because people often think of gentrification just as a black-white issue. Right. But if you're a person, a longtime homeowner, who's lived in Port Richmond, uh, mm -hmm. who more likely not is white, your neighborhood has changed dramatically, too. And you have yes. people, uh, I believe, uh, 35 to 40% of the residents of Fishtown are now under, I would say, under 40 from I've heard that mm. stat. So if you're a longtime property owner, your neighbors change dramatically, um, not necessarily from the fact it's going from black to white, but it's going from white to much younger people. Right. Right. Uh, so you're seeing that. And also if you look at um, Passyunk, and you're seeing what I what people now call Center City South, like below mm -hmm. South Street, which to me that was always South Philly once you hit South Street. Right. But now that's an area where people have moved to because they could not necessarily afford Center City or just decided we want to have a house um, but want to be close to the city. So you're seeing certain neighborhoods change dramatically. Uh, some of that is based on, I think, the 10-year tax payment. Yes. Um, but I'm also, so when you look at, when you talk about Germantown, you know, there's, I've seen some changes in Germantown. There's been some pocket areas and communities that have been stable for a long time areas, like West Central Germantown, Penn Knox community. But if you're on, um, let's say, Shelton, and when you're on Shelton and Wayne and you look at, and you're uh, on Shelton, intersection of Wayne and Shelton, and you're looking towards Wissigan, uh, things look dramatically different mm -hmm. if you turn around 180 degrees and, and you're at Wayne Shelton and looking towards Germantown Avenue. So you're seeing a lot of investment from Alden Park, um, par um, Park Heights, um, the SEPTA investment, the new shopping center there. But the other direction, you don't see the same right. development. Um, so you're, but you're also seeing some pockets of development in other areas. I think Germantown is really an interesting community, especially on the end at the lower. Well, we'll say the Wayne Shelton area because I see that starting to make some real changes. Mm -hmm. There's been some real um, infill development that you don't see just naturally. But if you start walking around parts of Germantown, you're seeing a lot of homes be redeveloped, especially in that West Central Germantown area. Um, and I think from a council perspective, we've got to continue to look at how we can help people to stay in their homes. So we've introduced and passed legislation like the long-time owner-occupant program increasing the um, income levels so p more people can participate in that program and stay in their homes. But also other initiatives, like I've done legislation to help small businesses because that's a big focus of mine. Um, I think the best way to address poverty is by growing small businesses because mm -hmm. small businesses are the great the greatest creator of jobs. So most of my legislative focus has been on how do we help small businesses to grow, either by the Philadelphia Business Lending Network that I created with the Commerce Department, where we brought 30 banks to get the banks, lenders, other um, smaller base entities like credit unions together to create a one-page application to make it easier for small businesses to get access to credit, or some of my legislation like a local procurement initiative and best value to make it easier for local businesses, especially businesses of color, to do more business with the city of Philadelphia. And I think that's going to help spur some of the development that we need on our commercial corridors, which will also help to help more redevelopment in all parts of the city, not just a select few that are close to center city. 
uh, you mentioned uh, the ten-year tax abatement. Can you explain what that is mm-hmm. um, and the problems that may exist with it, mm-hmm. or the or the counter arguments to it? I should say. So the ten-year tax abatement was something that was started about twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was just on commercial buildings, and then it was expanded to residential buildings. And what that abatement does is that when you buy a property, you and let's say you have a vacant lot, so you'll pay taxes on the vacant lot. Once, if you buy that lot and then apply for the ten-year tax abatement that's approved by the by the city, then any development that you do on that that parcel, um, and you've got to go through all the proper zoning and LNI channels, but mm-hmm. any development that you do on that lot, you just pay taxes on what you bought the lot for. So if it was a vacant piece of land, you only pay taxes for the vacant va- of the land. Mm-hmm. But if you build a high-rise on it, or a um, two-story home, or a three-story home. That new structure, you don't pay taxes on the new structure for 10 years. Mm. Now, the city has done some changes more recently to try to capture some additional tax revenue. For example, with that parcel of land that you may have bought and you were paying just the taxes on that, um, the city's done um, some reassessments of properties and have increased the value of that land. So some people that have a 10-year tax abatement have complained that you know, yes, I'm not paying taxes on the new structure, but then you increase the assessment value right. of the land I bought initially. Right. Uh, so there's been a lot of conversation regarding tenure tax abatement. It was done at a time when you know, the city is not like it is now, and we needed some major investment. But I think we're having conversations in the city council anywhere from get rid of it altogether to extend it to maybe 20 years in certain target areas of the city and all kinds of other ideas in between. So we'll continue to have a conversation about the abatement. Um, but, you know, a lot of the revenue that we've been able to use for education, like last year we did uh, over $600 million in our five-year plan for education, that came from expired abatements. You know, mm-hmm. abatement started 20 years ago. Um, the mayor proposed another $20 million this year for schools. That's revenue that's based on expired tax payments. So that's $800 million um, just based on revenue that would come into the city from expired abatements that are not based on tax increases. So it's definitely been a challenge because you have some areas that are going some dramatic changes. Um, you look at Point Breeze, uh, as well as some areas we talked about like earlier, like mm-hmm. Fishtown and Port Richmond, and you look at some other neighbors in the s- neighborhoods in the city where the abatements are really having an impact. And so how do we balance those things? Uh, and also look at other jurisdictions. So I'm very active in the National League of Cities as part of the large city council. I'm the second vice president for Pennsylvania Municipal League Mm. and also an officer in the National Black Caucus of local elected officials. So I'm reaching out to my colleagues in other cities to find out how they're dealing with some of these issues because if it's happening in Philadelphia, it's happening in other cities. Absolutely. Um, D.C., I'm I'm, I'm good friends with Mayor uh, Muriel Bowser, and D.C. historically was in a chocolate city. If you go to D.C. now... There's some, there's some problems in D.C. right fact, now. In fact, there was an article just recently about Howard University. And now if you're an yeah. H.U. grad, yep. you know, the yard is kind of hollowed ground. And so you had new people that moved into the community. And, you know, Howard, you know, it's in the 14th and U area, 16th and U area. And who said, well, the university should move because we want to be able to walk our walk dogs, dogs in the yard. It's mm-hmm. like... I'm sorry, Howard University should move? Right. Howard University, which has been, the, it's called, it's literally called the Mecca. Right. So you're going to say, we're going to move the Mecca just because you moved here in the past five years, and now you're going to walk your dog? So it's those type of things that we need to have better conversations. And I think anyone that comes into a community, regardless of your ethnic persuasion, you need to get to know the community. There's something mm-hmm. about that community that attracted you. 
So you need to learn about that community and become part of the community before you decide what's best for that community. I have a number of different questions that I want to continue this conversation around, but um, I don't want to keep all of your time. Okay. But I have one more question. <laughs> but we can do this again. I'd like, I tend to try to do, I'm a pretty open book. Sometimes my staff gets mad because I do a lot of different meetings, a lot of different activities. So I'd love to, and I'm still learning the whole podcast concept. Yes. My friends are really into podcasts. Um, podcasts are the new wave. I'm learning. So I'm always open to get perspectives because I know a lot of people use podcasts as mm -hmm. a way to communicate. I have, I have not become a podcast person, so I'm, but I'm learning this type of medium and how as a way of interacting with people and how you can get that information out. So I'm willing to learn. So I'm, thank you for the opportunity. I'm, thank you for coming. I'm glad you are willing to come back. But my final question is um, probably want to be my easiest one. And what's your most favorite thing in the world right now? Wow. My most favorite thing in the world right I always now, say it's outside easiest, of my wife and my son. Yes. Um, they could be in. Well, they, I mean, they're definitely, I, I'm, I, I say my wife and son just because they are putting up with me with all the stuff <laughs> I'm doing over the past number of months. I mean, I get up most days a quarter to five to try to get a little bit of gym time in. And then when I come home, you know, um, my wife goes to work around 7, mm. so I get back around 6.30. Get up, make my son's breakfast, feed the dog, take a shower, make sure he gets ready, gets on the bus. Then I'm on conference call and meetings, mm. and then I'm downtown until five, six, seven, that I'm running around to different ward meetings and canvas forms and then getting back at 10, 9, 10.30, trying to check in with my son. They, and are, wife. they are patient with you. They have been very patient. Yes. And I, I, I'm blessed to be able to have them in my life for what they do and inspire me, especially having um, a child on the autism spectrum. And mm -hmm. so uh, Julian does a lot of um, seeing him be able to achieve what he's been able to achieve and mm -hmm. the barriers that have been in front of him inspires me to do more. That's amazing sure. and beautiful. Um, we have been sitting with a councilman, uh, council member yes. at large. And that's another Derek conversation, Green. man to member. That that is a yes. another <laughs> uh, conversation. I've been I've been working on making sure I correct myself yes. um, so that no one else can come for me. Yeah. Uh, but council member at large, Derek Green. It was really a pleasure. Thank you Thank for coming. You. Thank you. For the um, time. I definitely want to have some other conversations uh, after this. Uh, I'd like to get an idea of some. Uh, community policing and, and mm -hmm. some, some criminal justice within Philadelphia crime and some other areas that we weren't able to get to today. But thank you for coming. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank you. I'd like to be back. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Very special thanks to Councilmember Derek Green for sitting with me today. Uh, after the interview, we got super, super nerdy. I hope he uh, appreciates me saying this. And we started talking Marvel and DC, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Star Trek, a very, very relatable guy. Um, so if you like what you hear, primary elections are May 21st. Get out there and vote, y'all. Again, the more people that are engaged in our civic discourse, the better our politics are, the better our government is, the more accountable elected officials are, and we just improve our lives overall. And I, I go back to that because that has the, been the basis of my platform of this podcast and my blog is how we engage with people within our community and our network and normalize politics so that everybody has a space to speak. And I ask that question to you. Do you have that space to speak? If you don't find that, I try to make that a space here at Salas Corner and make that welcoming to everyone of all ideas. And that's how you flesh out some of those negative and bad ideas or ideas that just don't work or 
are are a detriment to the well-being of a community and of the country. So look out for uh, different ways on how you can engage in our political discourse. And again, ask yourself that question. Do I have a space to engage in politics? As always, you can reach me at realtalk at salazcorner.com. Submit your questions. Give me any ideas, thoughts. Tell me how much you disagree with me. If you have any guest suggestions, you can also email me there as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Salah's Corner. And check out my latest blog piece at salahscorner.com. Until next time, peace, y'all.